Hello and welcome to Pat's Chat. I am Doug Kide, joined for the first time since this is the first episode by Michael Hurley. Let's kick things off. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We got a podcast. Like we have a, we podcast. a podcast. Wow. We've been wanting to do a podcast for I don't know. I've probably wanted to do a podcast with you for like 10 years without even telling you. But yeah, I said get in line, pal. Get in line. <laughs> It's always something in the way, but guess what? There is nothing in the way, at least for me at this point, but we'll be doing this podcast every Monday, every Monday, every Friday. Great timing here to be starting a podcast. And what is it? Week 14 right now? Yeah. You know, that's when the season real, the season starts after Thanksgiving, but not like immediately after Thanksgiving, like a couple <laughs> weeks after that's when the season really begins. It's a famous line by Bill Belichick. The season starts after Thanksgiving, but not right after Thanksgiving, a couple weeks after Thanksgiving. And not on Thanksgiving night either. That's Thanksgiving. No, that is that's Thanksgiving. That is, that's the neutral zone. Bill Belichick has also famously said football is a great holiday. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe today is the football holiday. Who knows? But we're going to talk more about this, like what we're doing, the plan, all that stuff in a couple segments. But... Let's no, no, wait, wait, wait. No, no. First, because yes. everyone's wondering it. How did you guys come up with that name? Pat's chat. Like, <laughs> what was the inspiration? Like, and I just say, like, we are pretty incredible at naming. So there you go. Yeah, it was either this or New England Patriots, And we felt that Pat's <laughs> chat was probably a little bit well, better. I'll be honest with you, because we should be honest. I will be referring to this as Ideal Pals Law for as long the Ideal Pals Law podcast. So like what you can call it whatever you want. Um, but that's what I choose to call it. We are pals. It's ideal. And that's the law of the land. So it's the ideal pals law. We'll change the hyph the colon to Pat's chat, ideal pals law, but thank you. Let's, let's kick it off with the story of the day. So that people don't get tired of us talking about what we're going to do. And we'll talk about what we're actually doing instead. So good. Patriots offense. Bill Belichick feels good about it he said uh today i think that was on yesterday thursday, recording this on thursday he said it yesterday on wednesday uh wouldn't get into too many details about why he feels good about the patriots offense which i can understand the patriots offense has been bad so far this season uh but i guess just what do you make of bill belichick's optimism right now because it, it doesn't and i guess we don't necessarily know based on the 20 year dynasty the Patriots had of like what Bill Belichick messaging really is when things go bad and when he doesn't believe in them. So I guess, is this a tell into how Bill Belichick handles these types of things at this point? Well, I think that's a, a good point by you and I'll, I'll get to that in one second. But um, to me, it's like when he said that I go, you go back to August and April whenever when people were like, uh, are you really going to go into the season with Matt Patricia running your offense? Uh, and he just, well, if it doesn't work, blame me. And that was his line over and over. If it doesn't work, it's it's ultimately falls at my feet. Okay, well, here we are. It's middle of December. It's not working. Like, what do I like? Is there a blame line? Like, what like what good will it do to go to Bill and be like, you're blamed? <laughs> the point is, like, they shouldn't be in this position. We all knew it in April, in May, and June, and July, and August, and through September and October. There really hasn't even been. There was maybe that moment, remember in the middle of the season where it was Tom Curran, because Tom has a, a, a rapport, I would say, uh, negative with uh, Matt Patricia in some way. And he asked him if he wants to take a victory lap. So I don't remember. That was probably after, you know, they won a couple games with Bailey Zappi. They beat up on the, on the uh, excuse me, the Lions, where things were kind of going okay. 
but there was never a point where like, oh, we were wrong about this. And it's just gotten worse. Even the Minnesota game who had spurts, but the fourth quarter, right. they go three and out three times or and then turn it over on downs one of the times. It's it has never been like a f- high functioning NFL offense. So uh, it's a long way to answer like okay, it's not working. We blame you. Like why why is there not a change and and I'll wrap up this long thought yeah. quickly. Earlier in the week when he was asked on yes. the radio why not make or are you going to make a change now and he just said it's too hard. And to me, when did it's too hard become a Foxborough mantra. It's always you do what's best for the team and it's right. too hard. I get that there's complexities, you don't, but teams fire their offensive coordinator all the friggin' time. Frank Reich called the plays in Indy and fired his offensive coordinator. So these things happen. Um, so the whole situation is a bit befuddling this week, I would say. Yeah, the it's too hard. And essentially that equates to it's too late at this point. I mean, I think, there was a time, like even when they were beating up on the Jets and um, the Colts, like it's not like the offense was a high-functioning, high-powering unit. And I know it's tough to like make a change in offensive coordinator or play caller or you know even quarterback. I'm not saying that that's a, an option right now when you're winning, but I do think that after two straight losses now you at least have to think about it and you can't just say it's too hard. I mean, like you said, teams do this all the time. I don't think it's actually benefited the Colts very much to switch their quarterback twice, fire their head coach, uh, you know, fire their offensive coordinator. I know that Jim Irsay is at least trying to make moves. I'm not sure if that's even appeasing the fan base. So I'm not sure if that would be what would happen for the Patriots. But yeah, I mean, I do think that Patriots fans would probably appreciate something And to your point, like when Bill Belichick says, if it doesn't work, blame me. Yeah. Who's supposed to do that? Like (laughs) is the media supposed to go up to him one by one and be like, Bill, it's time we're blaming you. Or is it like the players? Is it Robert Kraft? Because I don't know that I know that Tom Curran has talked a couple of times this week about like, is Bill Belichick untouchable at this point? I think we're not still at that point in the conversation yet, but I don't know. I mean, I think that there was a glimmer of hope in the Vikings game, obviously. Mm -hmm. And there was also, I was almost ready to say like, Hey, hands up. I was wrong. When Bailey Zappi looked like a decent quarterback in the Patriots offense. I I don't think I ever quite reached that level, but now that we've seen week after week and after week after week of the Patriots offense struggling, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't care one way or the other, but I do think the Patriots fans probably would like to see at least like something done now that there's a final stretch of the season and the Patriots are still in playoff contention. Yeah. Well, we can introduce a new segment called Mike's big, dumb brain. Um, and tell me, tell me if I'm big and dumb. Cause sometimes I think I'm right with it. And it's that you mentioned Bailey Zappi looking really well, the offense running a little bit more efficiently. I think when you have a play caller, who's never done it before running an offense, he's never done it before having a rookie who's never done anything before makes it easier for the coaching staff where it it's simple. Usually it's like, all right, Brady's out. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is in. We've really got to simplify this game plan and, 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 and simplify it and shorten the playbook and rip 50 pages out. I think if they're doing that, if Matt Patricia is doing that, I think it benefits him. And I think that's led to Zappy looking better because there's a simpler offense, but the uh, Pat's chat podcast, but the, uh, but the, uh, the, the overall offense is more limited that way. And that's how I always felt about that. But on, yeah. on the Belichick thing, you said we don't have a lot of 
you know, history of things not going well. I'm starting to get the 2020 feel from Bill Belichick. You might remember uh, you were still on the beat in 2020, December. The season was over at Thanksgiving. You know, they like they beat the Chargers on Sunday Night Football and there was hope. Mm -hmm. And then they got absolutely destroyed by the Rams on Thursday Night Football. And that was it. Uh, That was like early December, I want to say. And Bill Belichick just got very nice. Um, And I'm not one that's like, I don't know, people make too much of when he's like in a bad mood or grumpy or short, like or terse. Like, you know what it is. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, But I noticed that there was more, you know, there was longer answers, more thorough answers. Uh, there was the friggin' apology, Doug. You might remember the we got the fellas the next day, like fellas. I'm sorry. I was, and I didn't even think the night before was like out of the ordinary. I don't. Right. It, it just it was. So I think you you're starting to get that if you look at the press conferences this week. Very long, detailed answers, even questions that were kind of prickly uh, about the play caller, about changing schemes. Phil Perry asked, you know, in 2018, you completely changed things in December and went into a running. You went all running, Josh said, and he's like, well, yeah, we do that all the time. And then you get the whole long list, uh, how they changed Lawrence Taylor in 86 and 90, obviously. Uh, we had to get that in, but obviously, I, I, I'm starting to get that um, long, polite answers because things aren't going well. And, you know, we'll get into this game. Like, if, if this game doesn't go well, they do have that week out west where maybe it's a little bit less needly, but uh, the questions in the heat, and we say heat differently with Belichick than we do with like Nathaniel Hackett. Um, right. But heat is heat. And, you know, fans are mad. You remember a couple of years ago when that, that nothing question after they lost to the Titans in the playoffs, like the fans have supported you through ups and downs. And right. like, well, I don't think there's been many downs. Um, <laughs> so we're three years removed from that now. So I don't think you'll get those kind of answers. And, and I, I think that's something to kind of explain the the comments you might see this week. I think there is a little bit of transparency when Bill Belichick does start to be, um, yeah, a little bit more vocal with his answers. And we actually saw it, I feel like, even early this season as well when they might have been, you know, laboring out of the gate. Then they went on a little bit of the hot streak with Bailey Zappi at quarterback and the win streak uh, against, you know, teams like the Jets and the Colts and the Lions and stuff. Um, and then he started to become more like himself. And I do think that when there are struggles, yes, he does turn into a little bit of a nicer Bill Belichick. I was planning on this segment being a little bit later in the podcast, but let's just get it out of the way right now. And that's the funniest thing that happened this week. Okay. Uh, And my opinion on this is an answer from Cardinals defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph about the Patriots offense. I'm just going to play the clip real quick. I see an offense that's uh, running the football. Well, you know, it's a very conservative pass game, you know, lots of screens, a ton of screens. Um, it's like a defensive guy's calling offense. You know, he's, <laughs> it's how a defensive guy will call offensive plays, right? You know, let's 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 not turn the ball over. Let's let's get four yards of play and you know, try to burn clock. And that's what they're doing. You know, that's what he's going to do on Monday night. He's going to be patient. You know, maybe take a shot here. You know, from time to time. But for the most part, it's, it's running game, it's quick game, and it's screens. You know, so. So that's Vance Joseph's take on the Patriots offense. And I mean, yeah, it's like a hundred percent correct that it looks like a defensive guy calling offensive plays, but I mean, I don't think those words have ever been spoken during a NFL press conference in the history of football, because like this itself is so rare it's in itself. And then for Vance Joseph, just to be like, yeah, they're super conservative. All they do is run the ball and and throw short passes. It's like a defensive play caller calling offensive plays. It's like, 
Yeah. Yeah, Vance. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I really didn't get that much of a chance to like discuss last week's game against the Bills. I know that we're way past that at this point, but that final drive when they had, what was it, like six minutes, something like that, to start the drive, um, and they were still down by three scores or two scores, whatever it was at that point, and they're just throwing like two-yard passes down the field the entire time. They take three deep shots. All of them are incomplete. But otherwise, they're just like draining the clock down with these short passes, and clearly that's all they can really do or that's all that they're willing to do. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. It's like a defensive coach calling offensive plays and you saw it third and seven early to jacoby myers he runs a five yard out right incomplete uh and then the third and 15 when they go for seven you think all right well you're cutting half of it down and going for it no you're punting uh <laughs> and so the the conservative play a part of that is definitely play calling i mean if i see matt patricia run a play where they fake a screen pass to nobody to the right side and then throw a screen pass to the left where a running back is set up with blockers I'm going to lose my mind. Like that's not even a defensive. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's funny. Cause on paper, like I saw the t- tweet come out before the video and it's like, Whoa, we got some right. trash talk, but then you watch, it's like, no matter of factly it's being very kind, factually speaking, this is what it looks like when a defensive coordinator is calling offensive plays. I, and it's, it's true. I mean, the, 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 I guess boring, less exciting part is that like, the offensive line is terrible. Like it's, it's between performance and injuries. uh, You can't have a deep passing game with that. I think you saw that like Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. He couldn't pass against the saints until, you know, the last five minutes when uh, everything went haywire, but no quarterback, I I still contend no quarterback could succeed this year on in this Patriots offense. So for as much as it's like, Oh, they should try more. I don't know that they can because Mac is getting killed. Uh, in three seconds or less, seventy percent of his dropbacks. I don't have the number, right. but it's it's sort of uh, a, a chicken or the egg type thing, where you kind of have to just throw it to Ramondre Stevenson every play. And you, you, not to go too far ahead of this week, but if Myers isn't on the field, right, trouble. The the issue there of saying like, oh, it's not the play calling; it's actually the offensive line that's the problem. The the stem is still one person. And oh, who's the off- wait? Who's the offensive line the, coach? It's the uh, it's the offensive play caller. Unfortunately, it's it's Matt Patricia. Same guy? No, same no. guy. Yep. Who can I blame for this? Like, <laughs> I would like to blame a man. I would like to blame one man for this setup. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I mean, like going back to it. Not. I don't want this to be the hey everyone. No, yeah. Crap on Matt I'm Patricia podcast because I think that everyone kind of already does that. I don't want to you know get into that too deeply, but I think you know Bill Belichick had the option over the offseason of keeping Carmen Priscillo as the offensive line coach. He still had one year left on his contract. He allowed him to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, things record-wise aren't better for the Las Vegas Raiders this season, but they have been much more efficient on offense than the Patriots have been this season. But I still think, like, you could have kept Carmen Priscillo as the offensive line coach, even if you wanted Matt Patricia to come in and be the offensive play caller. I, I guess that the issue there at that point would be what would you title Matt Patricia? Because I don't think that they wanted to give him the offensive play, the offensive coordinator title, either because of money or because Bill Belichick wanted to take the blame for one thing went wrong. You didn't want to blame Matt Patricia. So I guess you had to give him a title and it would be tough to say like, all right, our assistant offensive line coach is calling offensive plays or our, 
I don't even know what else you would have been like a running backs coach. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that like out of every offensive position, he's probably best at coaching the offensive line, but that doesn't mean that he should be doing both jobs at once and trying to figure it all out because I don't know. I know that there's a subset of fans or analysts or whoever it is that doesn't want to blame the coaching for the Patriots offensive issues so far this season, but anything that you can blame, whether that's execution, whether that's mistakes, whether that's penalties, whether that's offensive line uh, play, whether that's Mac Jones issues, like these guys didn't just get worse over the off season. This was a good offense last year. This was a top 10 offense in EPA per play, which is now a bottom 10 offense in EPA per play. And beyond Ted Karras leaving, I love Ted Karras, but I don't think that Ted Karras alone is the cause for all of the Patriots issues so far this season. No. And you know, just to, I didn't want to do an offensive line podcast, but I just, I think, think it's so important. Like Andrews, I think has been his normal self. I haven't seen a drop off from him. Right. He's a professional when he's been out though, James Ferentz, not going to, it's the same thing with like Matt Patricia. I'm not going to dump on right. James Ferentz for not being very good. He's a backup center. Uh, and when you have a backup center, you get backup center play. I think that's similar to the, the offensive coaching staff. Uh, you're a rookie at left guard who needs coaching. Trent Brown has never looked worse in his career, despite he's had some downs in his career. Never like this. Isaiah Wynn has never looked this bad in his career. And it's, it's not just like, Oh, they're not being coached. I think Michael Wenyu has been fine too. Um, Right. He's been good, but you're, you're now you're looking at a situation where Trent Brown is still sick a week later. Wynn is still out with the foot could just has his calf and back hurt. And last week during warmups, they had James Ferentz, if I'm not mistaken, taking warmups at tackle I really he's like to see that in a game. I really, he's like really, six, really three, I think. Oh like, no, that's, that's, that was, he, <laughs> James Ferentz is listening to this podcast being like, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm six, three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm psyched that Mike Hurley just said I'm six, three. Like James Ferentz is like six, one on a good day, I think. Yeah. So yeah. there, I mean, you can't deny like the, the injuries obviously, but when they've been out there, they've been, they've been bad. And to me, it's not just like, Oh, Patricia can't coach offensive line. Right. It's, I know that when this particular team, and this isn't the only way to do it, but when this particular team was humming and they were winning 12 games and they had the number one, two, three, four, five offense in the league, every single drive, the seven offensive linemen were on the bench and their offensive line coach, who was very good at his job, was on his knee talking to them, even if it's simple reminders of we got to do X and Y, like not even a third Z, just do this, focus on this. You know, you go over what you messed up, you go over what you're seeing and you get better throughout the game. This year, and again, it's not a dump on Matty P podcast because person I don't want to make it like a personal thing, but right. in a Zoom press conference, he was asked what the communication is like, and he explained to us every detail of how headsets work and how they can be used to communicate with people in other rooms the same way my children use walkie-talkies and think it's amazing. And it was like, we know that there's headsets, but are you talking? Are you coaching them? And they're just not getting it. And, you know, Billy Yates for whatever he can do is, is going to be doing that. But it's sort of one large problem in the, you know, larger issue, I guess. But I, I just think it's like the nucleus of it is that offensive line. So it goes into the play calling. And then, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, the glimmers of hope in Minnesota. Still red zone was a problem. Still third down was a problem. And it's like those got to have it plays winning time, whatever you want to call it they are getting out executed across the board. And, and you heard from Kendrick Bourne last week or Thursday night, yeah. just air it out. You know, they we're going into, we're playing in the defense's hands. It's because you have a guy who's never done it before doing it in this stage. 
at like uh, in this spotlight, you're not doing it for the Jaguars or the Texans. It's it's going to have a, a microscope on you, and when it doesn't go well, it, it's going to get ugly. So, uh, Doug, they go in Monday night on the road. Uh, I don't know that it's the toughest road environment in the world, but it's still the road. It's still Monday night football. You're going to have, you know, you have a decent pass rush going against you. The secondary is terrible. There's, there yeah. should be opportunities just on paper, but I'm telling you, I have serious concerns that it actually materializes into a Vikings type night because of how that offensive line looks. Yeah, I agree with that. And we'll get into that game in a second. One final thing I will say about the offense and the offensive line before we get into the game against the Cardinals is that I still don't totally understand why the Patriots switched Isaiah Wynn from left tackle to right tackle and Trent Brown from left tackle to right tackle. Because from, Isaiah from left to right, but then back to left because he needed to go back to left after Wynn was bad at left. Right. Or Wynn well, got hurt. I forget the I forget the exact timeline. Right. Well, no, it was yeah, yes. Well, still, to begin the season, they switched Trent Brown from right tackle to left tackle, and Isaiah went from left tackle to right tackle. And last year, the offensive line was fine with Isaiah Wynn, left tackle, Trent Brown at right tackle. There were some injuries, whatever. Like, I don't know, it, because a lot of the theory, theory theorizing was that <laughs> it was due to outside zone concepts and that you didn't want Trent Brown next to Michael Onwenu because those are two very large individuals who don't move as well as other offensive linemen. And you didn't want Isaiah Wynn and Cole Strange next to each other because those are both you know, undersized athletic offensive linemen. You wanted to split those guys up, have a big guy and a small guy, big guy and a small guy. And you didn't but, want Shaq Mason in the state. You didn't want him <laughs> right and, in the yeah, conference. Of course you, you had to trade Shaq Mason. Um, but once they kind of started ditching a lot of the outside zone concepts and once they had a bye week and once the offensive line wasn't gelling together, I was really surprised that they just didn't say like, all right, that, didn't work that well. The offensive line is worse than it's ever been during the Bill Belichick era. Let's flip the guys again. Instead, they just benched Trent Brown until Isaiah Wynn got hurt. And yeah, now we're where they're at. All right. So yeah. let's talk about the latest news. And there's not a lot of news this week. It's been a very long week since the Bills game. But there's some sort of illness that's going through the Patriots locker room. And on Thursday in practice, we uh, the reporters there did not see wide receiver Jacoby Myers, defensive back Jalen Mills, running back Damian Harris, offensive tackle Trent Brown, offensive tackle Isaiah Wynn, and third-string quarterback Garrett Gilbert. For Trent Brown, I mean, so he had an illness heading into last week's game. He had, he also had an illness at times before the week prior, I think, when he did get benched. I think he was de dealing with an illness at, at that point as well. It's a long-lingering illness at this point for Trent Brown. Hopefully he's okay, but... Definitely not great with all the offensive line issues that we've already been talking about with Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn, both not practicing. And the fact that in two days, they have to get on a plane and fly across country to Arizona, where they will then be staying out on the West Coast for an entire week. So if guys are sick right now, like we might see all like 70 head co like coaches, players, everything get sick before the Raiders game. Well, you might remember when they were in Vegas for a week this summer, Trent Brown tweeted out like, ready to go home. So I can't imagine he's excited after a week-long illness, whatever that might be. I mean, the right. illness must be one hell of an illness because he didn't take warm-ups last week, which led to the right. Ferentz warm-up. Um, Bill Belichick was asked about that, I think, the day after the game and said something like, 
once he was active, they knew he was going to play. So right. it, it, I don't, I've, I don't recall seeing an illness, keep a player out of warmups, like, and just come out for the game. But either way, it, it must be one heck of an illness. I have to assume he'll be healthy by Monday or healthy enough, but right. I don't know what kind of condition he'll be in after a week with, I, I, I mean, who knows what kind of illness it is, but uh, you look at the, the, the line obviously stands out there, but to me, the fact that my, like it very, it snuck in there at the end of that bills game. Cause it was a blowout, but a bill safety just deciding to try to decapitate Jacoby Myers in a 14 point game with three minutes left was like, it, it could end the Patriots season, not to like put too fine of a point on it, but if if you don't have that guy out there on Monday, it changes the whole offense. Yeah. He is your most reliable route runner, your most reliable third down guy. You're, he is kind of your offense. And granted, you could point at the Minnesota game, which he missed most of after getting hurt in the first drive and say, hey, dummy, look at this. And then he came back and their offense stalled. So maybe maybe I'm overstating it. But I just think uh, the way concussions are since two is injury, uh, it's, it's sort of we're back to the 2010s, uh, which we – maybe at the end of turned back into the nineties. Uh, but now they actually are forced to take them seriously, thankfully. Um, yeah. But I, I think his absence to me stands out as much as any, because it's like everyone wants that offense to go. The Cardinals pass defense is vulnerable. and can be attacked, but if you're not at full power, it, it's just, he's so important. And, and I think he's their like yeah. one real guy that works for 30 teams, you know, like he's, he's the yeah. one guy maybe born to, but on the outside receivers yeah. position, like, it's weird though this season because heading into the year, I was like, all right, like all the wide receivers are starting caliber wide receivers. None of them are, you know, the number ones that people want to talk about, but like they're all like sort of the same. Like even last year, Jacoby Myers and, and Kendrick Bourne put up like very similar numbers in, in, in the Patriots offense. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, you know, has been a near thousand yard receiver in the NFL. Same thing goes with Devontae Parker, like in a vacuum all of these guys should basically be as good as one another, but you're absolutely right. When Jacoby Myers is out of the offense, it's extremely evident. And Mac Jones for one reason or another has just not been able to get the ball to any other wide receiver in this offense. And that includes Tyquan Thornton as well. And I guess to some degree, it does make sense with Aguilar and Thornton because those are both speedy guys. You have to have time to get downfield. So you can understand why there's not a lot of deep passes being thrown their way. Same thing kind of goes for Devontae Parker because He's not the fastest wide receiver, but he's a contested catch guy. You want to throw it to him downfield. And they've had relative success with that sometimes downfield. But yeah, for Kendrick Bourne, like it's just weird that Kendrick Bourne hasn't had more success this season. And some of that is playtime. I'm not sure if after last week's comments, you'll be getting more playtime this week, though I will say that I feel bad for Kendrick Bourne because after last week's game, all anyone wanted to talk about was Kendrick Bourne's comments about the Patriots scheme and how on third down, you know, the, they're not scheming up correctly to beat the opposing defense. Kendrick Bourne was sort of hung out to dry after that game to talk for like 15 minutes. He talked to um, Mark Daniels of mass live for like three minutes. He talked to me for like three minutes and then he talked to the scrum, the scrum for over nine minutes. And like, he had a lot of thoughts he said yeah. a lot more than just what he said about the scheme, but all anyone wants to talk about and all anyone wants to point to is the scheme. But like, I would say the general vibe of Kendrick Bourne after that game was people being like, Kendrick, what the hell is wrong with this offense? And him being like, I don't know, man. Like, 
I'm trying to figure it out too. And they was just like kind of throwing out theories, I think to some degree. And clearly as a, as a player in the Patriots scheme and offense and uh, this, you know, you know, this regime, you can't do that. So I can understand why those comments blew up more than others, but I will say that like, that was a bad 20 seconds from him on a 15 minute long scrum essentially. But it was kind of taken in tandem with what Max said at the podium, which, right. you know, maybe wouldn't have come up if he wasn't shown on the broadcast, you know, yelling, throw the effing ball. <laughs> uh, but when he said we need to throw deeper more, I think it, it kind yeah. of worked in tandem. I wanted to open this while you're talking about it. it was going to be loud. So it's time to get to our sponsor, um, Polar Seltzer. Um, nice. If they're watching, uh, that's the podcast is brought to you by Polar Seltzer at all times. Um, not to completely shift the subject, but just to stay on the news of the injuries, I think yeah. Jalen Mills is sneaky a big one too. Cause I know Patriots fans aren't like Jalen Mills. He's our man. Uh, right. But secondary has been having some issues with some top flight wide receivers. Uh, mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson had what uh, I just had brought it up here. Justin Jefferson had nine catches for 139 yards in a touchdown. He also threw a pass and then followed up by Stefan Diggs had, he only had seven for 92 and a touchdown, but a, he also had a 41 yard touchdown comeback on the hold and B the, the bills weren't, they were at like 75% trying like effort, not saying they weren't trying on the snap, but strategy wise, I liken that game to like the big brother putting his hand on his little brother's forehead and the little brother, just, you know, trying his best to punch him, but can't reach him. (laughs) So like Diggs could have had 10 for 150 if that was the game plan. And now you're going in, not only is DeAndre Hopkins there, but uh, Marquise Brown is back. Right. And you're going to go in with, I think it's sort of like Ferentz, like Jonathan Jones. I'm not going to be like, oh man, he got torched by Justin Jefferson. Cause like, yeah. who, who can cover Justin Jefferson? I know. But you definitely can't when your number one corner isn't really the number one corner. And that goes back to the summer. Bill, do you need a number one cornerback? And he's like, no, not really. It's like, well, all right, let's run it through. In 01 and 03, you had Ty Law. 04, I'll grant you. I think it was like Asante Samuel. And, uh, you know, you had that uh, Tyrone Poole was on the field a lot. I'll grant you 04, kind of, because Ty Law got hurt. 14, you had Revis. 16, you had Butler. And 18, you had, oh, Stephon Gilmore, the defensive player of the year, uh, the following year. So to say, like, you don't need one, I'd argue you do. And you don't have one. Mills is probably, you know, on a level with Jonathan Jones. I think Jonathan Jones is a heck of a player, uh, yeah. you know, cast over his, his skis or whatever you want to call it. But to have, to not have Mills out there brings it down. And then you have two rookies in the secondary. Not that I'm saying Kyler Murray is going to go out there and carve you up, but when it comes to a 60 yard game changing play and Hopkins is, you know, deep over the middle, he, he's kind of always open anyway. Uh, yeah. Being shorthanded in the secondary could be bad. So if Mills doesn't come back by Saturday's practice, that's more trouble. I'm like doomsday. I turned into doomsday this week. I mean, this is one of those years where usually I feel like Bill Belichick would have gone out of his way to get a number one cornerback or like that, that elite level cornerback. And, you know, it probably wasn't available to them. I guess they could have resigned stuff on Gilmore if he had been interested, but maybe they thought that, you know, that time had passed, but on a schedule where to finish off the season, Oof. you have Justin Jefferson, then Stefan Diggs. The, then DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown, then Devontae Adams, then Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, then um, Tyreek Hill, Hill and Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle. 
and then Stefan Diggs. Like this, like this, this is like the worst possible stretch of wide receivers to go up against. And in some of those games, when you're going up against two number one caliber wide receivers, like you have in, you know, Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle. Uh, I think uh, yeah, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro well, might be back for that game too. <laughs> I was actually just going to say that too. Yeah. Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller could be back um, yep. for the Raiders as well. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, I felt bad for Jonathan Jones in that game against Stefan Diggs because he did, he got kind of torched by him, but Stefan Diggs torches everyone. That's not an elite level cornerback. And as good as Jonathan Jones is, like he's just not going to hang with Devontae Adams. He's not going to hang with Stefan Diggs and, and Justin Jefferson because there's only like four cornerbacks in the world that can. But as you mentioned, in the early 2000s <laughs> and in 2014 and in 2018 and to some degree in 2016, they did have one of those best cornerbacks in the world in their defense. I'd also throw out there that in 2016, even when it was Malcolm Butler, who probably isn't on the same level as a Ty Law, Darrell Revis, or Stephon Gilmore, they had a very good number two cornerback in Logan Ryan, who like seven years later is still in the league with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So like it went beyond just having Malcolm Butler in that defense that year. They had a good secondary overall. So yeah, let's let's get into this Cardinals game uh, real quick here. Well, first, you should you should find Jonathan Jones and pull a Goodwill Hunting. Like it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not. Your it's fault. not your fault. <laughs> I mean, but to your point, like it's not really about him necessarily. Right. Those guys are going to get theirs. It's just, I, I think as you, your, your depth is not really something that can be messed with. And so right. when Jalen Mills goes out, yeah. it disrupts a whole lot of things and, and puts people, I mean, that's why you lost Super Bowl 52. We're doing Patriots Super Bowl history podcast. You lost because Malcolm Butler was obviously sidelined. I don't know if you caught that story, mm-hmm. didn't play in the game. And then you had everyone playing out of position. It like moved Chung out of his normal role. It put obviously people like Jordan Richards and uh, Johnson Vatamosi into the game. And it threw everyone's slotting off for lack of a better term. So if, if Mills is out again, it's just, I don't want to overstate it, but Cliff Kingsbury is an offensive coach. Uh, Kyler Murray is certainly capable of doing things at times. It's, it's a recipe for trouble. It, it is, but let's get into the game. Uh, oh, yeah. Cardinals have not been very good so far this season. So looking it up, Cardinals overall on offense this season are 24th in EPA per play. That's ex- expected points added per play. 22nd in EPA per passing play and 21st in EPA per running play. I don't think that's necessarily the results that you want when you do have an offensive minded head coach um, that you wanted to pair with your quarterback who signed a massive contract this off season. And you've got Deandre Hopkins, you've got Hollywood Brown back in the offense now. Um, and then on defense, they're 20th in EPA per play against 21st in EPA uh, per pass play against and 17th in EPA per rush play against I'll just run through the metrics real quick of the Patriots as well. 27th on offense and EPA per play, 25th per pass play, 22nd per run play. And on defense, third in the EPA per play against, fourth against the pass, and eighth against the run. The Cardinals are not very good. And mm-hmm. I do think that there's a possibility that this could actually be the game against the Vikings that goes better. Because I think that the Vikings are just. They're actually pretty similar. Like 
as a team that does not excel in any one thing that's kind of middle of the road all across the board. These two teams are like kind of similar, but Kevin O'Connell is just a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he knows how to run that offense. He knows to be conservative with uh, Kirk Cousins. He knows to go through Justin Jefferson. With the Cardinals, like they're just, uh, I don't think they really necessarily still know how to run that offense. It's just kind of havoc filled and everyone's always yelling at each other on the sideline and it's just not a very well-run team. So there is an aspect of this where I actually think it's possible that this could wind up being a get right game for the Patriots. At the same time, they've only ever really had success this season against a team that is absolutely horrible on offense or absolutely horrible on defense. And the Cardinals are not that they're at least fine on both sides of the ball. More offense than defense. Maybe even if the stats don't show it, there just seems right. to be a little bit more vulnerability there. But to your point, like if you just look at it from wins and losses, the teams that Arizona has beaten, they beat the Raiders in overtime. They beat the Panthers. Uh, they beat the Saints and they beat the Rams. I don't know if that was a Wofford game or like a half Wofford game, but the point is those are their only four wins. Right. It's the second lowest strength. I'm a big strength of victory guy. It's the oh, second, yeah. second lowest strength of victory in the league. So if you're decent, they're not beating you. I just think the 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 mitigating factors with the injuries and the fact that the Cardinals are coming off a bye week. So if ever they had an offensive right. game plan that worked, perhaps this would be it. But uh, have you watched Hard Knocks? No, I have. Have you watched Hard Knocks? Has anyone watched? So I was like, you know what, Michael? Like, be a professional. Do some research. Like, do some background homework. Like, <laughs> there are some weeks I know more about the opponent than others. I said this could be one of those weeks, and I watched an episode, and I was like it's like unwatchable. Like it, it really used to be such a, such a must watch show. I don't know if they're just sanitizing it so much. I did watch last year's with the Colts. It was kind of interesting mid season, but uh, the, the point is that I, my takeaway from one episode, I probably won't watch the other three is like, like you mentioned, like everyone's yelling at each other. No one really knows what they're doing. I don't, I don't believe Kyler is that guy. Like, I, and that's not right. athletically or performance wise, just like, I don't know that he's a leader of that team. You're not that guy, pal. You're not that exactly. guy. Exactly. That guy needs to go out there and just speak to the team at a team meeting. I don't think Cliff is that guy. Uh, they spent like 10 minutes and he's just given a tour of his house. And he's like, yeah, this is a big painting of a lion. Um, I'm a Leo. So it's just a lot of symbolism there. And it's like, mm, is it really only one symbol there? Yeah, it's just a Leo. It's just a lion for Leo, really. Um, but the the my takeaway was kind of just an uninspired uh, I mean, Buddha Baker is a hell of a player, an interesting yeah. human being. You're dope. Uh, oh, yeah. How about that? DBU. There you go. Didn't know that. Uh, maybe I did and forgot it because it's not important to me, but it is important to you. And so <laughs> I will learn to learn that. But um, the, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, the Patriots are going to get blown out. I just think if they can't protect and, and the offense doesn't flow, it could be a bit tougher than I think we might have expected in August and September and October, and even as recently as a few weeks ago, because they are, they should, the Patriots should win this game. Like if the Patriots are that uh, slightly better than mediocre, good enough to either be in the playoffs or stay in the playoff race until week 18, they have to win this game. Otherwise uh, you're, you're not, you're not that guy, pal. Yeah. I, the, the hope I think for the Patriots at this point, obviously is that, you know, they can win this game against the Cardinals because I do think it's still a winnable game. Then they can stay out West and rally together and everything and beat the Raiders. But then, I mean, good Lord, the, the, the schedule there at the end of the season, even if they're eight and six after these next two weeks, 
against the Bengals at home, the Dolphins at no, home. No, no, I got you. I got you. The I got Bills you. Ready? I, I got it all done. Ready? So yep. you win both. You win both. Yep. Right? So you're eight and six. Bengals have to come here on Christmas. The Bengals have been kind of up and down. They have. You know, some weeks they've by the Browns. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not fully, you know, weakened. They're not the Chiefs just yet, they, though they beat the Chiefs, obviously. Uh, but they got to come here on Christmas Eve. They're going to be a little out of it. You win that game. Yeah. Easy. Next week, Miami in Foxborough. It'll be 17 degrees, rainy, mm-hmm. snowy, whatever. Yep. Easy win. Week 18. Probably won't be rainy if it's 17 degrees, just to be fair. Shut up. Uh, week 18, uh, you got to go to Buffalo, which could be hard, but let's say the Chiefs or the Bills have their their yeah. slot decided, uh, sure. and they need maybe the Bills need to play in Wild Card Weekend. And so, why are they going to re- why are they going to play all out when they have a big playoff game to host the next week? You win that game easy again against the backups, yeah. and then that makes you uh, 11 and six championship. Wow, we just did it. Path. That's that's <laughs> the path to the playoffs. Patriots are currently in eighth place in the AFC. And yeah, I mean, um, there's, I was, I was mostly joking, but about that, but well, the whole thing, the whole, there, there are winnable possibilities, winnable uh, elements to everything. Uh, so one aspect of this game, uh, well, first of all, hard knocks in season, hard knocks works because everyone wants to tweet about when nothing else is going on in football. Hard knocks in season, no one wants to talk about. Yeah, you don't want it. Like, there's no cuts. Well, they didn't even show the cut, right? When you know Benjamin got cut, they didn't even show it. Oh, oh, right, right. And then when the offensive line coach coach. gets fired, they don't show that either. Apparently, I haven't watched, but this is what I think. Yeah, it's too. I mean, the the formula for the summer is like you fall in love with the 79th player on the roster and hope he makes it, and he never does. Like shocker. (laughs) Um, so uh, it's definitely missing that uh, element. But like last year, the Colts were in the playoff chase, so it was kind of fun to watch that. But this is uh, not that for this game. Cliff Kingsbury said that he is hopeful that Rondale Moore, their wide receiver is going to play. I we're still at the point now when Deandre Hopkins, uh, Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore have not been on the field altogether. I will say that despite the fact that Cliff Kingsbury is hopeful that Rondale Miller is going to play Cliff Kingsbury is kind of a liar when it comes to injuries hmm. and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I've said this on another podcast that I used to do. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury has said now twice, two seasons in a row, that Kyler Murray is going to be a game time decision when Kyler Murray is not going to play for another like two or three weeks. So logically, I will say that if Kyler Murray like doesn't play one week, then he doesn't play another week, and then he finally plays like the third week. In the first week, he probably wasn't a game time decision. It's um, probably true. And I, Cliff Kingsbury only really gets away with this, with like just kind of straight up lying about things. Because there's a small media contingency in Arizona because their press conferences are like 4.30 p.m. when no one wants to be listening to them anymore. So we'll see if Rondell Moore plays, but I think he didn't practice today, maybe yesterday as well. Uh, and despite the fact that they're hopeful, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. Uh, we're going to talk. Let's talk about real quick. Wait, one more, th- one more thing on that, on, on yes. the injury possibility. Uh, with Damian Harris likely out for the Patriots, Right. You had Ramondre Stevenson take 53 out of 54 offensive snaps last game, which I think he's maybe okay with, but I don't know that that's sustainable. And when you run a guy like that, every play, and not only is he out there, but he's getting the ball 35% of the time. um, It's not good. So behind him, they have Kevin Harris, Pierre Strong, and JJ Taylor. I tallied up this week, the total output and including Ty Montgomery before he got hurt. Running backs yep. not named Ramondre or Damian. Oh no. 
17 carries for 16 yards this season. <laughs> Four receptions, 23 yards, touchdown, which we know is timeout coverage. So 17 carries, 16 yards. And you saw it last week. Kevin Harris got a handoff. Oh, my God. Absolutely, he kind of like juked or like made a cut into a defender, lost a yard, and didn't play for the rest of the night. Um, I did ask Bill about that the other day. Like, how are these guys doing? Because they've taken like 20 snaps total and they're not getting the ball. And he's like, oh, you know, normal progression. So I don't know. Let's say Ramondre goes out there and takes a helmet to the quad or something. He needs to jog to the sideline. Yeah, I talk about Myers being out. Maybe we're missing. The big issue is if the Patriots can't run the ball and can't pass block and have JJ Taylor out there in pass protection. Could be, could be a, another another thing to watch for. So I think if you're the Patriots, you have to pray Ramondre Stevenson stays untouched, which is unlikely when he takes 100% of the snaps. So since week nine, the Patriots are 30th in EPA per rush, which is very bad when you, when you consider how good they were to start the season. Uh, and just the, this talent on the offensive line. Like, they right. should be better than that. Right. But I mean, I do think that a lot of that is that typically the Patriots like to have that depth at running back and they like to have Brandon Bolden. They like to have, you know, that third guy who's a vet, like the years when they had Mike Gillisley and Rex Burkhead and Sonny <laughs> Michelle and like, they were, like all these guys to go into the season with Pierre Strong potentially playing such a heavy role and Kevin Harris and JJ, like it was very unpatriots. Like it's another thing, kind of like the cornerback situation and kind of like the offensive line where it's like, why did they think this was going to be a good plan? Like, why did they think this was going to be feasible? Maybe over the off season, they, you know, obviously they had higher hopes for Montgomery. Maybe they thought that James White was actually going to be able to play um, before he retired. So maybe it just like all went wrong for them, but still, I don't know. Relying on two rookies like this so heavily is very un Bill Belichick, like uh, especially at the running back position. Um, so plans for this podcast. As I said off the top, I've been wanting to do a podcast with you for a very long time. Hopefully that people enjoy this. We'll be doing this every Monday, every Friday. Um, personally, as people probably know, I got laid off by PFF on Friday. That was kind of unexpected. So we put this whole thing together very quickly. Shout out to Stone Rochelle, former PFF podcast producer who helped us with logos and all sorts of other stuff as well. Um, and yeah, I think that this will be a, a fun endeavor. I hope that everyone subscribes on Apple and Spotify and YouTube and everything. Uh, but do you want to say anything in general about the podcast? Well, I think if I was listening to this, uh, as someone who likes you and cares about you, I just want to know how you're doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was able to talk to you, but other people haven't. So how are you doing? Uh, I, I was shocked by the news. I think the outreach on Twitter, obviously, was uh pretty significant literally everyone in the world was like doug is amazing um someone hire him immediately uh so that might have might have felt good but i mean how, how are you doing since it's only been what a week not even since uh, uh, I'm, that doing, happened. I'm doing better i i've been surprised so mo like every day this week i've had meetings with you know prospective people who want me to work with them um in some way or another so I'm doing a lot better now since there is like, there's like options to weigh on Friday when like no one's immediately just going to be like, Hey, you're hired. It was like, okay, this is really weird. I don't know what to do with myself right now. Uh, but I'm doing better. 
Um, especially since, you know, things are starting to come together. I don't know if I want to dive into something full-time right away again. So that's another thing that I have to consider is that that's a possibility that I could just kind of wait until the off season and see what comes along then. Um, I'm not necessarily in a rush to just like take the first thing that's offered to me. Um, so we'll see what, how that all goes, but just about PFF in general, I would suggest people read an article that was posted on uh, frontofficesports.com that talked a little bit about the layoffs because I'm not sure how much like company wise I can get into what all happened, but uh, there's a lot of very good people that work at that company. Um, I love a lot of the people who work there. A lot of those people are the ones who did reach out to me and say any help that we can possibly give you will be great. So shout out to people like Brad Spielberger, who I used to do a podcast with, my editors, Ben Cooper, John Oning, and Mark Chichester. Those guys are great. Um, Anthony Trash. Um, I'm going to forget people. Trevor Sigma. Lots of really great people there. People who left that company as well. Um, you know, good timing for them. Guys like Austin Gale and Eric Eager. Uh, big shout out to them as well. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would say that overall, it was definitely very surprising <laughs> that this happened. And you might be able to get all of the answers as to why it happened, like I mentioned, in that frontofficesports.com article that uh, AJ Perez wrote that I was not permitted to talk uh, to him about it. I did read that article. I would say I didn't like what I found in that article. I found it a bit. <laughs> this is me talking, not Doug. I didn't. I didn't like what was going on there. Um, good article though. Uh, well, was, yeah. well written, uh, well reported. Just an unfortunate thing. I think uh, you obviously in this industry of ours weren't the first person to to get that news, and unfortunately won't be the no. last. I know that doesn't True. help in the moment uh, with your personal situation, but just to know that it obviously had nothing to do with you or your work or your personality. I don't think, I mean, I, I've known you pretty well. It's possible. Um, you jerk. might, you know, you know, there's a, like a little thing here or there, but I don't think, I, no, <laughs> I think um, that's certainly got to be a, a, a bad, just a bad. So you were asking Bill was weird. questions at one in the morning. And then <laughs> that, that, that kind of threw me off. So I'm sure a lot of people were as well to see that. Yeah, it was strange. Um, and yeah, I will say that like, when people immediately are like, oh, you'll, you know, get hired right away, all, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it feels good. But you're also just kind of like, well, do you know what industry we're in? Like, where like, do you like, do you know what time of year it is? Like, <laughs> do you know that there's like a season going on right now? And things have, like I said, things have gone well. Um, there are offers on the table, I would say. At this point, I just kind of have to decide what exactly I want to do with my life. But for now, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to do this Hell podcast. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. I want to do this podcast with you, Michael F. Hurley. Um, <laughs> you've got, the you've polar got people can polar get in. seltzer. I've got a Taco Bell cup filled with an energy drink right now because can we talk about uh the fact that I go to the gym in the old, oh I went to the gym earlier. Did you did you notice? Yeah, um, I can notice. I noticed I did shoulders back, it's no big deal. Um in the old days, like when a band would go like in a corporate commercial, like sellouts. Now, every time Turnstile comes on in the Taco Bell commercial, I'm like, dun, 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 dun. like uh, the Dirty Nil did like a Mercedes ad during the Masters a couple years ago. I'm like, hell yeah, guys, like get that corporate money. Let them use it for however long this rocks. So it's made me want to go to Taco Bell. That's how effective it is. Like good use, though. If you can believe this, Doug, 
the turn the not the turnstile the taco bell kfc in my town turned into just a kfc and like what? joe biden joe biden has not waited on this <laughs> congress has not waited on this the un has not waited on this i don't know how you can just like that's just, you can't just take a taco bell away you can't they put like a, in, they blacked out the half of the sign it, so in the town that i live in there's taco bell i don't want to tell people where i live but in the town that i live in there's a there's a taco bell and but i will also say that i grew up in sharon massachusetts and in walpole massachusetts there's a taco bell at the walpole mall that is always like one of the busiest taco bells i feel like in america so busy in fact that they put one like down the street on route one in like norwood or something like that so it seems unbelievable that they would take a taco bell away from you when there are two taco bells on route one right up north of foxborough within like a mile and a half of each other it seems like it ain't right the line the drive through line was always like wrapped around the building guess what it's not anymore because you don't have any cheesy gordita crunches to give to people <laughs> people are simple we like simple things granted I, I i don't go too often but again the turnstile commercial almost brought me back but i can't go um do you do you do any like sports betting or anything like that uh i'm waiting till it's legal doug uh <laughs> which should be soon uh, I just feel like it'll be a little bit. I always doubt the payout situation. Yeah, yeah, like like I doubt the payout situation on the on the shady random websites because of like in 2007 people weren't getting paid, which in my mind is relevant <laughs> to 2022. Um, but soon enough we'll be able to just you know sit on the couch, watch say like a Thursday night Rams Raiders game with perhaps Baker Mayfield playing after signing with the team two days prior and just go crazy with it, you know, five dollar bets all over the place. So soon enough. Are you surprised that the Patriots are favored by one and a half points in this game? No. I thought about that too because the Cardinals really do they they haven't competed well against anyone. And like you could you could yeah. take out individuals and be like, oh JJ Watt and, and Isaiah Simmons and and Kyler Murray and DeAndre and it's just not working. But right. when I do that now it's like I don't know. People do this sometimes draft like the 10 best players in this game. The Cardinals have a bunch of them, right? I don't know whether it's six or seven, but maybe eight. I don't know. We don't have to do it, but the point is they have the talent and, and might be a little uh, frisky. I do a picks column every week uh, to let other people gamble. And I actually picked the Cardinals and I wrote this big description, but then it just like, it didn't feel right. Cause I'm, right. I don't think we're ready in the old days, if the Patriots lost on national TV, like God bless the next opponent, they were going to get blown out. The best right. game plans were coming. All these things were coming. Now I'm not sure that's the case. Now I can see the loss there, but I'm still not ready to officially close the door on that part of the Bill Belichick Patriots where it's like when it gets bad, it, it goes from bad to worse. Right. So there's that chance, but I don't think it's like 90-10. It's like 60-40 maybe. Yeah, no, it's it is isn't it kind of weird to some degree that the Patriots are six and six that like they are at least record wise considerably better than a team like the Cardinals, like based on the way that we were talking about them uh, today as if like everything is terrible and everything is going wrong. Like, yeah, it's it's still like kind of amazing to me that they can be favored by a team um, on the road. This late in the season, everything like that. I don't know. I'm I'm looking. Weren't at the, they favored uh, in Minnesota? I'm pretty sure they were favored in Minnesota too. Yeah, no. they might have been. I don't know. I'm looking at the uh, the betting market rankings for the NFL. This is on unpredictable.com. It's something that uh, Ben Baldwin on Twitter always tweets out the power rankings. And based Not on favored. Not favored in Minnesota. Sorry. Okay. Based on unpredictable, 
and this is based on betting markets. This is based on how, like what a team would be favored by. Um, let's see what you would expect the team to be favored by against a league average opponent on a neutral field out of all 32 teams. Where do you think the Patriots are ranked in this? 21st. They are 11th. Isn't that kind of shocking? Now is that they that's are, based on betting markets though? Like, yeah, so I, I like, think there's certain teams like the Cowboys that are always going to get more bets or is it just the, like, right. the, the point spreads? Which it's, I guess is tied into that point spreads, which is tied into that. But like, yeah, this is saying that the Patriots will be favored on a neutral field over every team other than the Bills, Chiefs, Cowboys, Eagles, Bengals, Dolphins, 49ers, Browns, Packers, and Buccaneers. So it's still very like quarterback centric since you've got Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady in there. And but I like, think that, I didn't hear Baltimore. I didn't hear Baltimore I, in there. They beat yeah, the Patriots at home. Yeah, I didn't hear Cincinnati shocking. in there. We'll see how that goes. Like, I'll give you, like, the Chargers and the Raiders. Oh, uh, you know why? The Ravens are 22nd because Lamar's hurt right now. Oh, so um, that – oh, I mean – So that favors yeah. into it. That factors into it as well. I, I would like them with Huntley over the Patriots, to be honest with you. I but, um, would certainly consider it as well. Um, yeah, one thing about the Patriots that I find – like, people might dismiss the Jets' wins because Zach Wilson was so bad and all that. But the only thing standing between the Jets – in a nine and three record and a tie for first place, actually outright first place because they beat the Bills is those, yeah. you know, that the, those two losses <laughs> right. to the Patriots. Um, yeah. which if if nothing else this year is like an accomplishment for this team because I think the Jets are really good talent wise. Yeah. I think maybe Robert Sala runs a little bit hot when he plays Bill Belichick, really wants to beat him, kind of like McDermott <laughs> did in his first couple years in the AFC East. Um, but like those are I count those as real wins for the Patriots when you're talking about yeah. how they stack up against you know the 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 meat of the league. But then you look at the Miami loss, the Baltimore loss, yeah, and then the Chicago loss was the kind Chicago of out of left field. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't like them against the, what's 32 minus 11. That's way too much math. 20 20 teams in there because you got to subtract the Patriots. 21, I don't. Yeah. 20 teams. I don't. I, I don't love them against 20 teams. Uh, maybe I agree. Limit that by like four or five. We're going to go after I ask you this one last question, and that is, would you think anything different of the Patriots right now if the pass that Mac Jones threw to Jacoby Myers, where he got his head taken off, had been a touchdown no. instead of dropped due to the fact that he was nearly decapitated? Uh, no, because, again, I, I go back to the Bills – philosophy that night it wasn't to right. score a ton of points it wasn't yes. to it wasn't to really like make a point it was just to get out with a w uh which though considering they were coming off a near loss in detroit on thanksgiving i think right. was a smart strategy they had the they had the snowstorm they had to go to detroit they had to go home they had to go back to detroit it was a hell of a three weeks i think they were like simplify yeah. it like their goal on offense was to possess the ball for six minutes if they scored they scored uh but it was to take time off the clock and, and they knew like the Patriots weren't scoring. So that drive at the end, if you score when you're down, it was 17 right. points at that point. Um, I, I don't really, I would qualify that as a garbage time touchdown. I, I would like to see Mac throw it better. Uh, his arm didn't look particularly strong on that night. The the pick that should have been to Poyer uh, yeah. being maybe the biggest example, but uh, overall, no, I, I would have put that one in the garbage time bin. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that I'm looking it up right now. I think that my former employer 
like called that a big time throw by Mac Jones, which I was a little bit surprised by just because it was also, it was like a, it was like a hospital ball too. Yeah. Um, it was like, he fit it into a tight window. So that in itself, like, yeah, that was a big time throw. Uh, but I'm not saying I disagree with it being one. I was just maybe slightly surprised when I did see the stats posted that, that, that he had a big time throw. Then I went back and looked at it. I was like, Oh, okay. It was that one. That's, that's interesting because clearly there weren't many big time throws in that game since he was throwing like one yard past the line of scrimmage for 95% of it. Okay. I lied to you. One more question. One more question. Okay. And then we're going to actually going to go after they had success throwing the screen to Marcus Jones. Why not just do it again? Like, why not do that more than, well, they, they gave it to him one more time. Yeah. Um, I, I think the element of surprise was big there. It is. But watch, still. Yeah. If you watch, there was a, an edge player sort of lined up on him in the slot who yeah. kind of crept in and blitzed or, or rushed the quarterback, right. which left him. Cause if you watch that play, Doug, nobody executed a block on that side of the field. <laughs> true. Yeah. Like, I think it was Parker was out there trying to block, trying to block the safety coming in. He was the closest defender yeah. did not get a block on him. Wh- whoever was it. Uh, Trent Brown was, co- there was no blocks. There was not a block executed on that play. And there was a point where Marcus Jones, to your point, was standing there with five bills in like an orb around him and he outran them all and went. Yeah. So I think the fact that it was his first snap on offense, probably the if you're on defense, you're probably like, well, I don't know. Someone must have gotten hurt and this guy's in. And it's not like, but then the next time he came in, obviously there were some keys. Yeah. Who's number 25? Uh, Speaking of which. You're a big numbers guy. Two questions yeah. for you before we go. Baker okay. Mayfield, number 17. What do we think he's about that? Short. He's too short. Number yeah. 17, I believe, is a tall quarterback's number. It looks great on Josh Allen. I will say, though, uh, Dave Craig, the Seahawks quarterback when I was growing up in Seattle, was number 17. He was also a shorter quarterback. But I think, like, Baker's, like, too thick to be wearing. He's too short and thick to be wearing number 17. That's my opinion on that. Yeah. He's set up to fail. It looks like, weird on him. Yeah. Uh, and next, as it relates to this week's game, the Arizona Cardinals linebacker Zayvon Collins, number 25. Uh, you saw him score a defensive touchdown against the Seahawks, and it was like, oh, a cornerback or a safety has it. And it's like, <laughs> wait, that was Zayvon Collins? I, I don't know about 25 in the line. Like, I'll give you a single digit, but 25 seems a little bit off. I also like even when I play like when I'd play, I, I still sometimes play NCAA football. I would like put linebackers in like numbers Brag. in the 30s uh numbers in the 40s 25 no but the thing that pisses me off the most is defensive backs wearing numbers in the teens no offense jack jones i think you're a great player you've got a bright future in the nfl i don't like you wearing number 13 it just it looks bad cornerbacks in single digits cool cornerbacks 20s 30s cool um that cornerback who wears number 47 very cool. I, I like how like you're almost trolling at that point to be wearing number 47. Numbers in the teens, though, not good. Otis Smith rocked 45, 45. in the early dynasty yep. days. Like that's a good, that's a good number. Yeah. Uh, 25 at linebacker is not working, but I don't know. No. Worked on that play. So uh I was what do I know? that play that Marcus Jones could be the next Tyree Kill if they just switch him over to offense full time. Uh we'll see how that goes for the Patriots. He's kind of but- slight, he's a little slight. You yeah. don't want him getting well, hit yeah, too he's much. Like he's a punt returner. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe. We lied to you earlier. We will be back. Well, we'll be back like very late Monday night for a recap podcast about this game that we've talked about ad nauseum at this point. Uh, we'll be recording that show 
after the Patriots Cardinals game, I don't know where I'll be recording because the next wall over is my daughter's room and I don't want to wake them up. Um, but we will be back with you guys then. And thank you for listening. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs>